Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Lexity. I've lived abroad in various countries, and one common denominator I've found is that dealing with foreign bureaucracy is a nightmare. Trying to navigate visa and immigration waters in another language is not something I'd recommend ever trying on your own, even for the most experienced of us. So when I recently had to renew my Spanish visa again, I turned it over to the pros at Lexity. They've already helped more than 5,000 expats and digital nomads find a home and thrive in countries like Portugal, or in my case, Spain, also Italy, France, and Greece. Some very desirable locations indeed. So whether you're trying to obtain your first visa abroad, purchase a property, or work through international tax issues, Lexity's team of friendly lawyers is here to simplify your journey. The team is super knowledgeable, bilingual, and thorough, and I seriously cannot recommend their services enough. My experience working with them has been incredible, and I can honestly say I don't know that I would have EU permanent residency if it wasn't for the help of the team at Lexity. So if you're ready to make your move abroad, then Lexity is offering an exclusive discount to About Abroad listeners. Grab 10% off your first service with the code aboutabroad2023 and learn more over at lexity.com in the show notes and start your abroad journey today. My guest today is my good friend, Nathan, who joins me from beautiful Cape Town, South Africa, but he's originally from the US and has been calling various countries around the world his home for the last 10 years or so. And unlike a lot of people on the show who have built their location independence off the back of remote work and the tech sector. Nathan is actually one of the leading food bloggers in the world. So taking a little bit of a different path, we get into the nuts and bolts of creating a successful food blog and how that has afforded him the opportunity to travel the world for the last 10 years. We also get into his latest project, which is Gay Digital Nomads, a service for the LGBTQ plus community and talk about some of the pros and cons of the different countries that he's called home over the last decade. This was a lot of fun getting to catch up with a good friend, and I hope you all will enjoy it as much as I did. Please help me in welcoming Nathan to About Abroad. I was thinking back on it before we uh, before we were getting started recording here today, and I was reminded of how we first met. We have a mutual friend, uh, as you know, and the audience won't know, uh, Mitko, who's been on the show a couple times, and um, he connected us. For, so there we are hanging out in Valencia. And I just recall like one of the funniest things that I heard in a long time was uh, we're sitting there and you're like, yeah, man, I'm thinking about getting my Spanish passport so I can summer in Europe. I always wanted to say I summer in Europe. <laughs> and I thought, man, this this guy's a food blogger that's living in Mexico, going to summer in Europe. Like he's truly living my dream. I, I, I went down the wrong path. <laughs> yeah, growing up, we were super poor growing up. And I remember, I think I told you when we met, uh, the first time I heard summer in Europe, I was like, that's got to be something that like royalty does. <laughs> you know, I thought that was reserved. For like the top 1%, this idea just stuck in my head of summering in Europe. And I'm like, one day I'm going to summer in Europe. And now, uh, except for the except for COVID, I've, I've spent every summer in Europe for the past 10 years. Wow. Wow. And is Mexico still full-time home, more or less? Uh, Mexico, I would say I'm in and out of Mexico more than any other country. Like, there's nowhere full-time home at the moment. But my mom's retired in Mexico and... Uh, you know, I've just spent so much time in Mexico. I have a bunch of good friends in Mexico. And also I get to see my friends and family a lot more when I'm in Mexico. I get to, you know, people, people are a lot more likely to come visit you if you're, if you're in Mexico versus, you know, Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, like a destination people want to go to, and it's also not too far from home. Home, home is where actually for the audience? Oklahoma city. Oklahoma city. Okay. Yeah. So originally Oklahoma city, kind of weaving in and out of Mexico and and summering in Europe the the life of 
I, uh, a, a famous food blogger doesn't sound like it sucks too bad. <laughs> no, things are pretty all right. Now, now I'm getting really into Argentina. So it's been Mexico for the past maybe four or five years. And I've spent the last chunks of the last two winters in Argentina. And I just booked my same Airbnb to return to Argentina uh, next winter as well. Oh, sweet, man. That's uh, where in Buenos Aires in particular or, or somewhere else? Basing in Buenos Aires and then traveling around the country. Okay. All right. That's a, that's an amazing place. It's a big time, like up and coming destination for, for digital nomads, like Argentina in general, but most, you know, m mostly Buenos Aires, I think. Really big digital nomad community down there right now. Yeah. Would you say comparable to what you found in Mexico or even bigger? Uh, it depends on what city. I mean, if we're talking big cities, I think the vibe is better in Buenos Aires for digital nomads than Mexico City. But it's really hard to beat um, Playa del Carmen's digital nomad uh, community. They have a really, a really established, strong digital nomad community in Playa del Carmen. But if you're talking big, you know, capital city to capital city, I found a better uh, vibe and a more organized community in Buenos Aires than I did Mexico City. Nice. Is it between like just thinking through both of these? I actually don't know the answer to either. I understand Mexico is like pretty easy to spend for like an American, for ex an example. Um, but I guess maybe equally for a lot of people listening to the show, like Mexico is fairly easy to go and spend a significant amount of time, you know, more than your standard 90 day tourist visa. Um, as I understand it correctly, correct. So correct me if I'm wrong there. And then also how does that compare to what you found in Argentina? So most people in Mexico are getting 180 days on arrival. Your The tourist visa is 180 days. Um, Argentina is 90, but I have friends that have been living there for five years doing visa runs every 90 days. And you can just take a ferry over to, I believe it's Uruguay or Paraguay, I forget which one. Take a ferry, turn around, come back the same day, get 90 more days on the tourist visa. So, you know, it, it is half the time you get in Mexico, but it's super easy to renew. Wow. Is that, so can you do that? Do you know if you can do that consecutively, like every 90 days, just go do that? Or is there a, like a, you can do that once and then you're kind of capped. No, my friend's been living there for four and a half, five years and she just got her visa. She just got a, a visa to stay there. She's been doing visa runs for every 90 days. And she said, and you know, what I've heard from the digital nomads that are there, Argentina doesn't care if you overstay. The only reason people are being like very aware of not overstaying is they don't want the stamp that a future country might consider if you ever tried to apply for residency or something. But I think they said Argentina themselves, they don't really care. I mean, Mexico used to be the same way. People would overstay their Mexican visa by a year and you pay like $60 on your way out. But I personally would never do it. I just don't want that overstay stamp in my passport because, you know, it, you could be trying to go like Spain or something and they... No, we see you overstay your visas, your you know, application denied. But yeah, it's not it's not difficult for Argentina. And they have a digital nomad visa they recently launched as well. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't like, you know, I haven't had a chance to dive into the details of that, but um it's uh I had heard that it was pretty flexible in Argentina. I think you just spelled out even more flexibility than I could have imagined. That's pretty uh that's that's a refreshing I guess a breath of fresh air compared to like having been in Europe now for a while and mainly been dealing with like European bureaucracy, which is very heavy and they are very strict about that stuff though. Actually, I did meet a guy once when I was in Spain, like when I first got to Spain, it was an American guy and he was like, um, we were talking and I was like, so how do you do the, he, he said he'd been living here for like a couple, basically on and off for like four or five years. And I was like, how do you do the 90 day thing? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, like you have like a 90 day limit, like a tourist visa. He was like, hmm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I just, I never really thought about it. Is that like a law? And I was like, yeah, man, that's a, that's a law. And he's like, I don't know. I've been coming and going for years back and forth. And, uh, you know, I've stayed for like 10 months at a time. Nobody ever said anything <laughs> like, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that works until it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't live that way. Not, not for me. Um, that's awesome, man. I think Argentina is an incredible country to to have as a home base. Uh, so much culture, great jumping off point for the rest of Latin America. Um, you got a good mix of like different types of people coming from all over the world. Awesome infrastructure. Um, I don't know. Food like, and I, wine. I think that's a good choice. Food and wine, yeah. For the food blogger, that makes sense. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, the food and wine, the wine especially. Um, you know, I tell people the food down there. The Argentinian food is really good, but I don't, they don't have like the variance in gastronomy like you might find in like Thailand and stuff like this. But right now, you know, the dollar goes so far there. You can do international fine dining uh, is really great value for money doing that. Okay. How do you, how do you get into that? Like if I went, if I showed up to Argentina, like how would I get into this? Oh, just, I mean, just going out to the, you know, any restaurants, all of, all of their restaurants, you know, we were doing like an eight course tasting menu with wine pairings for 50 American dollars. Wow. That is incredible. Actually, that reminds me, man, though, I've only been to Argentina once and I went to visit my, my best friend who was doing a, like a study abroad kind of program there. Um, and he took me to one of those. We had like, I think it was like an 11 course meal with a sommelier and everything. And we weren't, neither of us were making much money at that time. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember what it cost, but it wasn't much compared to, uh, what you would expect. And, uh, it was just like one of those epic experiences in life. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you, glad you bring that up. There's such a cash society as well. Like they, they, everything, you know, you can use credit cards at all these places, but I went to a two Michelin star restaurant, the only restaurant in all of Argentina that has two Michelin stars and they offer a 10% cash discount. <laughs> wow. I, I think it's That's the awesome. only Michelin star restaurant I've ever been to where I got an email before we you know at the time when I made the reservation, it's like, by the way, bring cash and save 10%. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it, man. I, you're well. You're super tapped into the to the food and wine scene uh, around the world. So if you say it's good there, I uh, I definitely trust your uh, your you know your inclinations. Um, and that actually brings up a point. Like I, you know, we we know each other and had you know plenty of conversations before, but I actually don't know like the history of how you got into to food blogging. And you know, for some context for the audience, like. Uh, because I know you, you're a humble guy. You're not going to like brag on yourself, but you have built up a massive audience into one of the more successful food blogs out there. So this just isn't some little side project. This is like your livelihood and something you built an entire business and ecosystem around, um, which is really awesome and inspiring. So, uh, and, and I imagine there might be people listening, like a lot of people that listen to about abroad or seeking ways to build location independence, to spend more time abroad, travel more. And, um, you know, I know this is your like your ten year anniversary of of traveling uh, full time and and living off of this business. So I think it could provide some some pretty cool inspiration for people if you were able to share a little bit of the backstory. Yeah, so it's eight years living off of the business. I've been traveling. This is ten years of full time travel. The first two years, I was just traveling, just backpacking Southeast Asia. I left on what was supposed to be a six month tour of Southeast Asia. I was going to have some deep uh, contemplation about my life. And, uh, the thought was, did I want to go to law school or not? I was working as a legal assistant in Oklahoma city, working on like the 17th floor of this, um, massive office building in downtown Oklahoma city in a windowless office. My office was a janitor's closet that had been converted to my office. And I, I was going to take six months off and think about like, is this what I want? And, uh, became really obsessed with the idea of full-time travel. Um, travel blogging, started following people like Nomadic Matt, Adventurous Kate, and uh, took off on this six-month thing and kept going and going and going. And then after about two years, I was running out of money. And also, I was traveling without a purpose. And I was trying to figure out, like, you know, there, it, it's nice to be, you know, full-time travel every day, but if you don't have a purpose or a structure or something that you're doing, uh, you know, like every day gets to kind of be the same. So I needed money. And I wanted to do something where I could keep traveling. And I needed a purpose. So I started what I thought at the time, everyone was saying at the time, you can't just start a travel blog. That's too broad. You need to niche down. I was like, okay, I'm going to niche down to food. And now if I had it to do all over again, food is not even niche enough anymore. Now you need to be, you know, a celiac vegan food blogger or something. If you really want to carve out like a super defined niche. Um, you know, I started eight years ago, so at the time food was niche enough, but I, d I don't know now that food is niche enough uh, if I were just starting out again. 
Interesting. Interesting. So like what happens from there though? You, I mean, you have the idea to say, I'm going to start a food blog. I like food. I could write about food. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what, what, like what's the launching pad from there to where you are today? Everyone just said, you know, you want to start something that you're passionate about, something that you could talk about all the time. And I was like, okay, well for me, that's food and food travel. And so I started the website and, uh, yeah, you know, at our, at our peak numbers last, uh, at our highest numbers, we had about a half million readers per month, and I didn't I didn't think that it would take off and get as big as it did. Um, I really didn't have a, a plan or a, a really great business strategy when I started, and then I started going to these conferences, and I heard about some of other people's numbers and what they were making, and uh, realized I needed to be a little bit more purposeful with it and have, be more strategic. So once I started putting effort into it, learning about things like SEO... Uh, content marketing, affiliates, things like this, and treated it more like a business. Uh, it, w- it took off from there. But, you know, in the beginning, I was just kind of posting random stuff, like, you, you know, whatever kind of thoughts I had about certain, it, it wasn't on brand, it wasn't on target, it wasn't, uh, it definitely wasn't SEO. I don't even think I knew what SEO was in the beginning, in the <laughs> early days. Yeah, probably not, man. I mean, that's kind of the 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 lesson within the story, right? Is like, you know, you just have to get started. Um, I heard Mark Zuckerberg say one time something like, you know, if I had thought I needed to know everything about building social networks online before launching Facebook, like it would have just never come. Like I had to build something to to learn what I didn't know. And um, and I think that's, you know, that's where I see a lot of people fail on this journey as they're, you know, trying to, especially people like trying to transition, like, you know, you, you, for example, like going from, okay, I'm a lawyer, I'm an, I'm in law school and I'm gonna, you know, now I want to become this like location independent traveler that has a location independent business and, and all that. But like you, if, if you don't get started, if you don't take one step in that direction, you'll never, you'll never figure out what you don't know. And so, you know, you, you have to at least be willing to roll the dice. I heard it. Boil, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I heard it boiled down three. Uh, they boiled it everything you da- said down to now, not how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, with my new project that I'm working on, that's what I'm trying to keep in mind. Now, not how. Now, not. Let's just put it out there. Let's let's get the ball rolling. We'll figure out. You know, you kind of learn to fly on the fall down. So that that's what we're going because otherwise, I could sit around and take every course and you know really think about how to get this idea going, or I'm just going to now not how it. Yeah. 100% man. I'm very curious to hear more about the the new project um, before we transition to that. Um, for people that don't know, like someone who's, you know, you pique their interest a little bit in, in blogging. Um, this might sound very elementary for you, but just like quick overview, how do you monetize a blog and like what recommendations would you give to someone kind of put, sticking their, their toe in this water as far as monetization goes. We're largely monetized with ads, by far and away advertising networks. And uh, I'm on Mediavine. You can, in Mediavine, I think you have to have something like 50,000 sessions per month, but there are uh, other si- or other ad companies where you can start smaller. She Media. Um, I think She Media is the only one I would recommend. There's a couple others that I'm not big fans of, but you know, before your numbers are to 50k a month, you can look at some of these competitors to MediaVine like She Media. But there's tons of ways uh, working with um, tourism boards, partnering with hotels, affiliate sales, uh, running your own tours, doing retreats, uh, digital products. You know, if you know a city very well, if you spend a lot of time in, you know, Playa del Carmen, like we mentioned, sell a guide to Playa del Carmen. Uh, if you, you know, if you great with photography, if, if your site is known for photography, sell a photography course, you know, there's lots of different ways. Nice. I think that's, uh, that's exciting for people because a lot of, you know, a lot of us are, uh, I tried to start a blog at one point, so I commend anyone that, that, uh, that is able to do it because I got a few months into it and realized like, man, I really kind of suck at, at writing. And this, if I don't, if the output isn't horrible, which, you know, most of us are really harsh critics of our writing. So in my opinion, it was pretty bad. Um, but like if I, even if I set that aside, like this takes a ton of time and energy and like, I'm not really making any money from it. Um, early on. So it can be really uh, disheartening at, at first. I think like if you, if you have a little bit of a plan ahead of time in the, in the now, not how mentality, um, you know, it can, I guess that can behoove you as you're getting started. 
Yeah, I don't. I, at this point, I don't even consider my site a blog anymore. Like, I, I think blog is uh, the easier thing to call it, just because people have a lot of familiarity with that term. But you know, I'm getting ready to write the second article on my website in the past three or four years. It'll be the second thing that I've written myself. Uh, you know, so for me, a blog is someone's. Yeah, someone's, and it's only because I'm obsessed. You know, I'm obsessed with Buenos Aires right now, and. Uh, I just don't think that any of my writers could do justice. So, so normally what I would do is I'll go to a city and then I'll, you know, try all my restaurants and then whichever ones that I want to recommend, I would just send a list over to one of my writers and say these 10 places. And I would have little notes, you know, reservations required, you know, order the duck, you know, credit or cash only, no credit cards, you know, and my writers would do a lot of the framework around it. And, uh, so I'm getting ready to do the Buenos, but I say this, I've been getting ready to do the Buenos Aires article for like two months now. Uh, and it's going to be, I think the second thing that I write personally for my site in three or four years. Um, I, I think a blog is more someone's kind of firsthand narrative and it's, you know, I went to this city, I did these things. These are my recommendations. And, you know, at this point we, we have a whole team of writers. We buy a lot of freelance articles from, uh, other writers. So, we're trying to be more of like a travel resource than we are a travel blog. Yeah, good. Better phraseology there. I think I've, I've told people um, or been like, yeah, you know, Nathan, the food blogger. And so like you immediately connect that to a blog, but it's it's scaled well, well beyond that um, long ago. So uh, yeah, it's it's an awesome resource. Oh, thank you. I, I use that just because everyone knows what a blog is. So it's, it's sometimes it cuts through you know, having to explain what it is you're doing. Like, yeah, yeah, I have, I have a travel blog. Yeah. Everyone gets that concept. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, the, the link to that, uh, well, what, while, while we're talking about it, mention the link to it and we'll place that in the show notes um, as well. Foodieflashpacker.com. Awesome. Yeah. So that'll be, uh, that's down in the show notes for those that are interested and there'll be other links we'll mention as well um, that'll, that will be there uh, throughout the the conversation. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at My Expat Taxes. For my fellow Americans out there, we all know tax season is upon us. And for anyone who's ever had the pleasure of dealing with multiple tax agencies in multiple countries, you know this can be a challenging experience. That's why when it comes to dealing with anything tax-related abroad, I always recommend hiring a pro to help you navigate this unknown space. In my experience, this not only saves you time and spares you from the unnecessary headaches, it also has literally saved me thousands of dollars in taxes over the years. So I am super excited to introduce you to My Expat Taxes, a true pro in this space that focuses 100% on US expat taxes. Whether you're filing for 2023, catching up on back taxes, predicting a future tax obligation for a future move abroad, or just looking for some guidance, My Expat Taxes has your back with speedy and affordable online filing options and real human accountants to assist you as needed. Join the more than 16,000 other Americans living abroad who have used their services by visiting myexpattaxes.com via the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you in partnership with my friends over at Lamont & Co. If you're planning a retreat, off-site, or group gathering of any kind this year, I highly suggest tapping into their extensive knowledge and experience to help you find the best possible venue for your event. I work with Kim, who has become my trusted advisor when it comes to planning any event around the world, and she's literally saved me hundreds of hours of work and has located venues I never would have found on my own. She even provides me with budget breakdowns and cost estimates for each location I'm interested in and negotiates contract terms on my behalf. All for free. If it sounds too good to be true, I thought the exact same thing at first, but I can assure you this is the real deal. Lamont is paid by the venues, not by you. So there's no cost, risk, or obligation here. So do yourself a favor and contact Lamont via the link in the show notes when you're planning your next group, retreat, offsite, or gathering. Before we dive back into the rest of the interview, I have a small favor to ask of the audience. If you are enjoying this episode and getting some value out of it, then please follow these very simple instructions. Step one, pick up your phone. I'll give you a second. Step two, leave a five-star review for About Abroad. 
that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm asking. It takes about two seconds. Of course, it is completely free to you and it is the best possible way to support myself, the show, and everyone working on About Abroad behind the scenes. The funny thing is, is that there are thousands of people tuning into this show every single week, but we are very likely to only get a few reviews by industry standards and reviews are the most impactful way that you can show support for the show. So if you have the time, please do so. And either way, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Okay, now back to the episode. So you mentioned this other project that you're working on, which I'm also very interested to hear more about. I know very little about this, so I'll legitimately be learning uh, along with the audience there, but give us a little bit of background. So we are right now in the middle of hard launching gaydigitalnomads.com. We found there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of information out there how to become a digital nomad, best cities, best countries for digital nomads, things like this, but there was not anything that was applied for LGBTQ plus people. So we're going to become that resource is the current mission. Nice. Nice. Oh man. Well, um, a large mission to, to tackle, but I think, uh, it's in good hands with, with you. (laughs) (laughs) What's the feedback been so far? Uh, you know, we're just right now in the middle of launching it. So we, we've not got, we did like a little bit of a soft launch. I sent it out to some people and, you know, so far so good. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, for any of your uh, listeners that uh, are, you know, LGBTQ plus remote workers, uh, you know, there's just a little bit of additional concerns as far as when you're visiting or planning to visit somewhere, safety concerns and things like this. And a lot of times when you're uh, researching these, they don't come up in a lot of the traditional uh, sites that are covering them. So that's what we're tackling right now. All of our city guides, everything that we're publishing is structured around traditional digital nomad concerns, such as affordability, you know, cost of living, what's it going to, your on the ground expenses, Wi-Fi, co-working spaces, um, things, things like this with the additional, you know, what are, what are the policies or laws in place or general attitude towards, you know, the LGBTQ community. Nice. That's uh, I, I think it's really inspiring because at one point, this was not really even a subject. Like if you picked up an old travel guide or something, um, like when I first started traveling, I like would legit go buy the, the Fromers or something like that and like flip through it. And there wouldn't even be like a footnote about, you know, if you identified as gay or in the LGBTQ plus community, there wouldn't be really any information like specifically for you. These days you might see it as like a footnote or like a, you know, a asterisk or a, a, a bullet point in the, in those, um, uh, in those guides, but like you, you wouldn't necessarily see something like fully dedicated to that. So I feel like you're really kind of like paving a new path with, with this. And the other interesting thing is, you know, the, what you would traditionally do is you would just look up something about like, I think a quick one is, do they have gay marriage? And that's kind of what you use as like an overall way to check the temperature of, you know, that country's attitudes or perceptions. And some of the most gay-friendly countries, like Thailand, which I consider, you know, an extremely gay-friendly country, uh, doesn't have gay marriage. And then, you know, other places that are extremely, to me, I consider it having traveled multiple times there as a gay traveler. Uh, Bali has some pretty not great laws on their books, but that's not the reality once you're there. So, you know, we're trying to be a, a better resource than, than what's out there currently. Are there any uh, countries like on the on the flip side of that equation that, you know, you would have expected would be uh, tougher for you to to like enjoy your life while you were there? And it turned out being very welcoming. Turkey. Turkey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. The the one that was coming to my mind, I have a um, and this could have just been their experience, but there's a, a, a guy that I know he and his husband traveled to Iran and had an incredible experience. And they were they were kind of blown away by the welcome and the community that they found there, um, but the welcome and, and openness that they received um, from, you know, both the LGBTQ plus community and just you know everyone that they they came across, they were not they didn't feel out of place at all and and came home raving. Nice. I actually would really like to go to Iran. I've heard nothing but good things about Iran. From uh, I haven't heard any much about the, you know, gay travel factor, but the food, which really interests me, everyone raves about the food in Iran. 
dude, you got to mix these two. I mean, you're going to be living your dream, mixing these two interests together now. Like you, you've, you've got the, the literally the world at your fingertips. <laughs> Man, I'm already trying. So I, I'm I'm buying a Facebook group. Someone already owned Gay Digital Nomad. So I'm buying the Facebook group off of the guy. And I ran a poll in there. And the thing I'm most excited about, I was like, let's do like a gay digital nomad, like a you know, 10 day work, uh, work together, live together, something. But I wanted to have like a heavy food focus. So I'm I'm trying to push like all my agendas at the same time. Can, can us uh, non-gays come too? Because that sounds awesome. <laughs> this is the same thing our mutual friend Grayson asked. And he's like, what about allies? Like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. we just want, I just want allies to do like cool, invited. Yes. with cool people. <laughs> yeah, I just want to do like cool things with cool people. You know, that's the whole, the whole plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely love it. And, uh, I, like I said earlier, I mean, it's in, it's in good, good hands with you. So, um, and, and this is also a subject that like, I'm, I guess I'm appreciative that you're willing to talk about publicly, not like, you know, it's, it's something that lives in the, in the, the darkness or something, but I also have not had a lot of people reach out to talk about this specific subject and some of the like challenges that may have come around. Like you, you started this for a reason, you know, like you experienced a pain point in the, in the market at least and, and, or through your own personal experiences and like decided to do something about it. And, um, I've had conversations with people in private, um, on this subject, but not somebody that's been willing to like, really like, uh, I guess like take a stand and make a, make change. And so it's, it's pretty cool that a, you're, you're making that change and then B you're willing to like be so public about it. Yeah. And you know, that's what we're trying to find. Like you say, these people that are kind of just trying to figure it out on their, their own. We're trying to figure, uh, find where these people are and get a bit of a community going. Yeah. Nice. Well, wishing you lots of luck. I hope the about abroad community will, uh, will support you as well. And we'll have the, the link to that in the show notes as well. So, you know, you've got, you've got our support, uh, completely there. How's the, uh, how's the gay digital nomad scene down in South Africa? I believe that's where you currently are. Currently in South Africa, who, when we were talking about digital nomad visas earlier, I don't know if you saw, they just announced that they're coming out with one as well. Nice. No, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Just within the last couple of days, you know, when I got to Cape town at first, I was like, it's nice. It's cool. Like I like it. And now having been here for a little more than a week, I'm like, I love it. <laughs> this place. Yeah. It, it was a little bit of a, it wasn't love at first sight. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a slow, you know, acclimation. And now I'm like, yeah, this, this might, this might get put into heavy rotation. It's pretty nice down here. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the heavy rotation. I feel like that's a that's a thing for you, right? Like you you kind of cycle through places that you really you're you're not someone that's like trying to check off like every single country um with lots of bucket list uh, places. I that's my impression. It seems like you like to return to places that you really enjoy and you enjoy the like the change and the transition that comes with that. I was just thinking earlier today like <laughs> Uh, there's three places right now. If I could come over and over to my apartment in Mexico City that I was in love with, my apartment in Buenos Aires that I'm in love with, this apartment specifically in uh, Cape Town, and then just keep like three or four months as like wild card and variances and, you know, go to Europe or go go other places. I think I would be pretty content for a while. I'm kind of a creature of habit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same, man. Like I like, I like change. Um, I've been on the road now for about two years. Like I started living abroad, I don't know, maybe like nine years ago or something. Um, but, and, you know, traveling kind of more consistently, like making that a staple of my life, like I guess about nine years ago, but I've been living abroad now for six years and two of the past two of those, uh, full-time on the road, staying for a few months in a few different places. And I'm totally circling back to exactly what you just said. I want to have like two or three kind of home bases. Not that I necessarily need to own those places, though that would be nice, but just having those places that I know when I, I, I can just slip right back into my social life, my work routine, my exercise routine. I know where things are. Um, I still want to go explore and, and, you know, find some new stuff along the way. But, uh, but I like the idea of having those, those home bases and just continuing to like chase the seasons or chase the festivities or whatever it may be. Yeah, I'm definitely chasing seasons. I mean, all of mine is just kind of chasing the summer months. And 
But now it's getting to be, it's not even enough for me to just want to go back to Mexico City or just want to go back to Buenos Aires. I want to go back to this specific apartment that I stayed in last time. <laughs> yeah, I've already, you know, I, I left Buenos Aires and I paid I on Airbnb 10 months in advance. I went ahead and rented out the same apartment to return to. You know, I can't just get dropped into the city. I, I want to, it's like going home. I want to go home when I'm there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Having that sense of home in a foreign place is a very cool feeling. Yeah. My Airbnb owners dropped by today. We did, we, they had to do something around the house and I'm already talking to them about, uh, coming back here next year and renting from them directly and, you know, coming back to this same apartment. So aside from the apartment, what is it about Cape town that's, uh, that's struck you? Number one, I always like living by the water. So, I mean, being by the ocean is amazing. I think it does a lot just for, you know, mental well-being and just my general uh, outlook on life when I'm, I'm by the water. I love that. I tend to be healthier. Um, that One thing I'll say is it is making me a bit lazy. Everyone speaks English, which can be a plus or a minus. You know, I was really focused on my Spanish. And, uh, you know, it's to be halfway around the world in Africa speaking English all day, every day. Uh, some people might be really into that. Uh, uh, tons of great restaurants, tons of nature, tons of hiking, uh, co uh, cost of living. You know, it's quite affordable here. You can have a really nice life for not a lot of money. People are super friendly. Uh, and just an endless amount of, you know, day trips around here. They're, they're famous for their wine. So, you know, we have plans to go to Stellenbosch to do winery tours. Uh, the hiking seems endless. And also the digital nomad community is quite well organized. You know, I'm in a couple of groups and I've already had to like mute these WhatsApp groups because every day, you know, someone's doing sunrise yoga or cold plunges or, you know, after work drinks or, you know, these kind of things. It's a well-organized, large digital nomad community as well. And that's a good sign when you have to mute the notifications. It's, it's sad when, when it goes in the other direction and you're like, is anybody in here? <laughs> yeah, I've got all these groups muted. They're quite busy. They're quite active. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it, that, that's one of those cities that um, is kind, like, kind of polarizing, which sounds a little bit extreme, I think. But like, I don't know another word to use. But I meet people that like a lot of most people that I meet that have been to Cape Town talk about it in a very similar way to to um, to what you've just described. And then, you know, it seems like there are a lot of other people who might show up with that first like first impression that you had and never get over that, um, whether it be like the, um, you know, the disparity between like uh, the obvious income wealth gap that's there or the infrastructure or whatever it may be. You know, I, I can't speak for everyone that's been there, but just that seems to be the, the impression. I don't meet a lot of people who go there and they're like, yeah, it was, it was okay. Like I could, I could go back. Um, it seems to be people are on one end of the spectrum or the other. And it's kind of funny. You, you've experienced, it looks like you experienced like a little bit of both of those already. I think a lot of mine, we came in in the weather. It was like, it was kind of cold. I was having to wear a jacket to dinner. It was raining every day. And I was like, they had said this was the best weather time of year. And I was like, this is summer in Africa. And, you know, I'm wearing a jacket to dinner yeah, in African summer. And then, you know, this week has been gorgeous. Every day is a beach day. People are outside, you know, from my, my place is right in front of the water. So all day people are running, jogging, uh, sunrise, sunset, and every, it, it's nice. It's a good vibe. I like it a lot. I could see coming back here and doing a longer stay. It's very livable to me. It just seems extremely livable. Yeah. There's big disparity. There's definitely, you know, there you you see a lot of income disparity here for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to you have to know what you're getting yourself into in in that regard. Um, are there like uh, like particular neighborhoods or like like areas that you're when you go to Cape Town for the first time that you like you want to make sure you you stay in or that you would target for someone who's like just getting started on planning a trip to Cape Town? Sea Point or Green Point? Okay. Cool. Yeah, Sea Point or Greenpoint. Those are the ones that come up over and over when people are saying, you know, where should I stay? Sea uh, Point or Greenpoint are the most popular. Nice. All right. So, what's the plan after this, man? Are you uh, you you continuing on a on a trip through uh, Africa? Or are you circling back to Latin America? Are you going to come summer with us in Europe? What's the what's the deal? 
Latin America and somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I have after this. Yeah, after this, I have uh, my brother-in-law's uh, uh, has a milestone birthday in Puerto Rico, so I'm doing the classic South Africa to Puerto Rico route. <laughs> Pretty standard. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> go bum around Mexico for a while. I've got a conference there. My mom's retired in Mexico. Go visit my mom. And then, uh, yeah, going to Europe for the summer. I think um, probably be at the Bansko Digital Nomad Fest. Probably uh, that's the end of June. Get over there for that. And, you know, now my summer, my summers in Europe, it's turned into I have weddings. I have birthdays. You know, I have so many friends based there now that has turned into um, – you know, weddings and birthdays and these kind of things when I'm over there. That's a very cool part about the, like the longevity of doing the digital nomad lifestyle for, for a while, because I mean, right. Like a lot of people will, um, dismiss it as something that you do in your twenties or, and you know, you can do it for a couple of years, but it's not really sustainable. Um, you know, here you are, you've been doing it for 10 years and you're talking about some of the, you know, deep relationships that you've built, uh, living this lifestyle around the world, you get to experience with those people in different places and, and pretty epic places at that. So like, I think hearing from people like yourself can be pretty exciting for people who see this as more of a long-term thing and not just this like, you know, itch that they have to scratch in their younger years. Um, and especially when you marry that with the like professional side, like you haven't had to sacrifice a professional career, uh, financial success, et cetera, to, to have the, that type of experience. Yeah. Like when you mentioned that these deep relationships, I, for me, I really try and prioritize if you can't be there, you know, for the day-to-day -day stuff for people, then you really need to show up for the things that matter. So my friend, you know, like my brother-in-law's birthday, it's literally halfway around the world, but you know, it's a big one. So you show up for the things that matter. You show up for the things that are important. Um, my friends that are getting married, you know, I, I told them when, when they said they're getting married, I said, just let me know when and where, you know, whatever it is, I'll, I'll make it happen. Uh, so if you can't be there for the daily stuff, it is important for this lifestyle to maintain these relationships that are important to you. And so you need to show up for the big things. And I, I really make an effort. You know, you can't be there all the time for everything, but I try and make an effort to show up for the big things as much as I can. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice. I know a lot of people, honestly, myself included, like uh, one of the, I would say, probably the hardest part about um, the somewhat of like an alternative lifestyle is the level of guilt that you feel when you miss out on the day to day. Um, you know, you, as you just said, you can't be there for everything. I've missed people's birthday parties or, you know, graduations or baptisms or whatever it may be, you know, like lots of lots of little things, quote unquote, um, throughout the years that, you know, you feel guilty not being there, even just like, you know, family members getting together for dinner or something, you go, oh man, I wish I could be there. Or maybe there's a little bit of a guilt trip. And, and, uh, but I think if you prioritize being, you know, if you want to take this lifestyle on and you, and you're going to roll with some of those punches, like that's the thing that you can do is, is prioritize showing up for the things that truly matter. And, and people will remember those, a lot more than the the little things that you might have missed along the way. Yeah, if you miss a family barbecue, you know people people would have liked you to have been there, but no one's going to be you know that that upset that you didn't make it. But if you don't come to a wedding, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> don't yeah, remember that. <laughs> don't remember that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, it's it's good advice. I. Uh, I'm glad that um, I'm glad we've we've had the opportunity to kind of step outside and experience some of this. You've been doing it longer than most. Um, any other like tips uh, or, you know, kind of like pointers you would give to somebody who's thinking about branching out into into this type of like full time? I don't know if full time travel is even the right word, but I mean, you don't really have like a permanent home base. So you're 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 moving around somewhat frequently and and even the places you do call home aren't in your home country so I'm sort of categorizing it as full-time travel but feel free to recategorize as needed um, but in any case like any tips for for someone else that's maybe considering like kind of following in your footsteps you mean tips regard to like business or personal as far as like the business side of it or the the personal I guess it could go either way, you know, whatever, whatever you think is most applicable. But I mean, I was thinking more so in the, in the personal realm, 
um, with this question and like the particular, like the travel, you know, like not having not, you, you haven't gone the traditional route of like getting a career, settling down in your hometown and, uh, working the same job for 40 years and, you know, taking your one week of vacation. So <laughs> you've gone in a totally different direction. Um, and, and it's, it's normal to you and, and somewhat normal to me, but a lot of people that write in to this show, like they're, literally just dipping their toe in this water. Like, like I'm thinking about, you know, going to spend three months abroad next year. I'm thinking about quitting my job and moving to Portugal or whatever it may be. And, uh, and, you know, they're just looking for like any tidbits of advice that that a seasoned veteran of this game has. And and you're certainly that of course. (laughs) I, you know, I would say like coming up with a passion or a reason or a a point, you know, our, our mutual friend, Grace, and I think he's very good at this. He'll, He's into kite surfing. So now when he goes somewhere, it's it's because it's, you know, the best place in the world to learn how to kite surf. And I think when I started, I was just like, you know, who has the cheapest flights? You know, that was my whole direction was, you know, <laughs> we, you know, I, do, I didn't have a purpose or, a, or anything. I was like, you know, where can I go the furthest, the cheapest? And then I got there and, you know, what was I doing? Just food. Well, everywhere has food. Uh, so you know, follow one of your passions, figure it out, figure out what it is that's super exciting to you. Um, you know, hiking, kite surfing, architecture, photography, um, nature, you know, whatever your thing, surfing, uh, and go chase that, you know, it's going to be more meaningful to you when you're, when you're going somewhere and it's for a, for a mission, you know, I, you want to, you're in super into photography or nature photography. Okay. We'll go, go on some uh, safaris in Africa, you know, go, go with a purpose, go with a mission, go with a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, man. I, I think another one, you kind of alluded to this earlier and it, it aligns with that is like the language. Um, I know a lot of people that have set out, they've gone to spend like long periods of time in places, but they didn't think about the fact that like the language wasn't really important to them. They weren't going to learn it or, or they learned later that it was, but they hadn't thought about that as a point. And it's such a rewarding thing to move to a country and, and just, you're going to pick up so much of it just by being there. If you put a little bit of intentionality behind it, you'd be amazed how you can pick up the basics of a language just by spending a bit of time there. And so like for that, for me, that means two things. Like I I've learned that this is something that I'm really interested in. So I'm kind of like picking countries that I want to spend time in, um, a little bit based on language. Like, do I want to learn the language or not? And like, am I willing to put the effort in to learn that language or, or not? And so that's a little level of intentionality that I've tweaked a bit, I guess, that's that's helped me enjoy places even that much more. I'm, I'm here in Italy now. I'm taking like two one-hour Italian classes a week. I'm not going to become fluent, you know, but I'm enjoying that process. And it's making the little day-to-day interactions so much more fun. And I kind of knew that would be the case. It's one of the reasons I came here to, to Italy this time around was because I was like, I actually want to learn Italian. So um yeah, I think that's like a, a great point is to like just put a little bit of effort into thinking through like what's important to you, what are you going to get out of this? And uh, if you just kind of wing it and just go into it with like no no real goal in mind, I, I think the novelty wears off pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what happened with me. And when you say about the languages, if you notice the places I mentioned that I'm pretty, um, pretty set on returning to my heavy rotation, it's like Buenos Aires, Mexico City, Madrid, you know, my vibe right now is big Spanish speaking cities. And a lot of that is because I really do want to, you know, my Spanish is functional, but it's far from fluent. You know, I, I, there's a lot of room for improvement. So yeah, I mean, that's why I'm prioritizing a lot of my kind of heavy rotation places is so that can be a focus of my travels. Man, splitting the time between Mexico city, Buenos Aires and and Madrid, uh, throw in some Cape town, and uh, a few other little stops along the way. You're you're living the dream, my friend. Con- congrats on all the success, and uh, and thanks for like you know thanks for sharing everything that you do here. I love all the work that you do, but this is super cool to get you on the podcast finally and uh, learn a little bit more about your story. So appreciate it. No, of course I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Well, um, before I let you go, uh, just mention really quickly, we already touched on a couple of the links, but let's reiterate them here. Uh, where can people go to f- learn more about you, connect with you socially? Um, any of the websites you mentioned, let's just throw them again here. And then again, they'll, they'll be in the show notes uh, for people as well. So they can just access those with a quick click. 
So main website is foodieflashpacker.com. It's the same on Instagram if anyone wants to follow me there. And then the new project, gaydigitalnomads.com, same thing, same on Instagram as well, if anyone wants to check that project out. We're hopefully announcing some retreats coming soon. Everyone everyone we talk to, they're most interested in retreats, so we're working on trying to get those. If anyone wants to get on the mailing list, as soon as those are ready, we'll send that out. Nice. All right, great. Well, check out the show notes to get uh, quick access to those and definitely do follow along. Nathan's work is top notch and a lot of fun to follow as well. You, we, you know, we talked about a lot of the like technicalities of what you're working on, but you also just share like, you know, here, your, your travel stories, here's the apartment that I just checked into and here's where I'm going next. And, um, details about your, you know, the adventure of getting from one place to the next. So it's, uh, you're a lot of fun to follow and I think people will enjoy it. Uh, thanks. People really seem to like those little apartment tours I do. And I think that, you know, for anyone that's wanting to, um, considering going and doing this, you know, everywhere I go, I just, and it's usually like a one or one minute video or something. I'm like, this is what, you know, 1200 bucks a month gets you in this city, you know, around the world or whatever. So I think that's kind of interesting for people that have the, the thought that it's something they might want to do. It's kind of real time information. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think a lot of people just want to see the, like the realities of the lifestyle that you're living, right? Like not just the highlights and not just the, the sites and even the horror stories. It's like, dude, this is what normal life looks like in my day to day. And it's probably not that different from yours, except maybe a lot cheaper <laughs> in a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's fun to follow. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I'll see you in Europe this summer. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. I will, I will be here. So, uh, we're, we're crossing paths. We tried last year. We didn't, it didn't line up, but, um, but this year we're going to, we're going to make it happen. So maybe we'll do a, uh, a up to this with an update on how gay digital nomads is doing, but we'll do it real life from like a Greek Island or something. <laughs> oh man, that sounds perfect. Let's do that. Hopefully by then I'll have some big success stories to talk about. Awesome. Looking forward to it, my friend. Safe travels and uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter, no spam, guaranteed, or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.